Last week, we started a uh, sermon series from the book of Judges. And last week, as we covered the introduction to the book of Judges in the first two chapters, we set the tone for the whole, and we were introduced to the military and religious failure of the people of Israel. Israel couldn't conquer the promised land because they wouldn't be faithful to Yahweh, their God. They had assimilated into the Canaanite culture. They had accepted and actively served the Canaanite gods just as they actively rejected Yahweh, the covenant God who rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt. That's sort of the big, tone, big picture, the top-down view, the bird's-eye view of the book of Judges. And sometimes when we see these large-scale pictures, a panoramic view per se, we're left with the question, what did normal life look like? What did it look like in everyday life during this time? Well, at the end of the book of Judges, the author actually gives us two case studies that show us exactly what everyday normal life looked like during this time. When nationally the, the tribes were disconnected from Yahweh and were in uh, religious apostasy? What did it look like on a family level? What did it look like on a clan or tribal level? Today we're going to look at the first of these two case studies. We're going to look at verse chapter 17 and chapter 18 of the book of Judges in sort of a survey fashion and see what life looked like up close and personal. And what we see here in this first case study about a man named Micah, a Levite, and the tribe of Dan is that there was absolute chaos in and among the people of Israel because Yahweh was rejected and because they attempted to rule over themselves. Chapter 17, verse 6, that Doug read for us this morning, gives us what uh, theologian Mark Boda calls the theological explanation for what has happened and what will happen in the book of Judges itself when, it, when he writes... In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, but more, much more than this, I did it my way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is the way the author of the book of Judges summarizes life in Israel. Sounds pretty familiar. Sounds pretty similar to Old Blue Eyes. And perhaps what is his famous song that ends, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. When Israel does it their way, when the individuals within Israel do it their way, what we see is chaos and destruction. You see, when the author of the book of Judges says, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, that is an indictment of the rejection of Yahweh by the people of Israel. 
Yes, it works on two levels. Yes, it is a statement that there is no single leader that unites the tribes and serves as king and rules with justice and peace. But more fundamentally and more importantly, it is a statement of rejection of Yahweh. The author of the book of Judges wants us to see, wants his audience to realize that what was happening within the life of Israel as a whole and what was happening in the basic everyday life of Israel on a family, personal level was from the open and blatant rejection of Yahweh as king. The people of Israel didn't need a king. They had Yahweh. The actions of Yahweh with Israel over the course of Exodus through Joshua reveal that he is their king and that they were to live under his rule, under his reign, and live in the way of life that he revealed to them to be righteous and good. And here in the book of Judges, what we see instead is the people of Israel reject Yahweh, the covenant God, as their king. And so there was no king in Israel, not even God himself. Having rejected the king, they seized for themselves then the naming of good and evil. And they do what was right in their own eyes. But what they did, defined as right in their own eyes, was said to be evil in the eyes of the Lord in Judges chapter 2, verse 11. And in fact, in doing what was right in their own eyes and doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord was the exact opposite of what their God, through Moses, had commanded them to do and to be. In passages and places such as Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, Deuteronomy 6, 18, God says through Moses, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. What we find in the period of the judges was that there was no king in Israel. Yahweh was rejected. And like Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, the people of Israel chose to trust their own eyes over the eyes of Yahweh. Now, this behavior, this, this attempt to rule over the self, this behavior has been a natural and consistent uh, to humanity. It's a characteristic that's been natural and consistent to humanity since the fall, since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. This effort of self-rule, of self-determination, of self-expression, free from external constraints, of self-definition, and the consequent self-defined, quote-unquote, right behavior that grows from it, is what I have referred to in previous sermons as the Invictus Syndrome, named after W.H. Henley's poem, Invictus, where he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. The book of Judges says, they did what was right in their own eyes. This is the effort of self-rule, of self-definition, of being one's own king, of doing what is right in one's own eyes. And while it may sound like freedom, while it may sound like freedom, it ends only in slavery and subjection, only in chaos and self-destruction. And this is even apparent to secular academics. Philosopher and sociologist Philip Reif, not a believer in Jesus, in his work, My Life Among the Death Works, he reflects on this Invictus Syndrome when he writes, Man wills to create himself and then recreate himself at will. That way lies the will to destruction. 
There is no king. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this is manifested in this first case study from chapter 17 and chapter 18. It's manifested in idolatry. It's manifested in social brokenness that begins within the family, extends to the clan, and then to tribes. In the first case study from Judges 17 and 18, we see that this self-will and self-creation led to the chaos of idolatry. Doug read for us this morning the first few verses of uh, Judges chapter 17. This narrative begins with a single man doing what was right in his own eyes. And what did it look like? Micah, whose name ironically includes the name of Yahweh, does what is right in his own eyes by stealing 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother, thus violating two of the Ten Commandments. He does what was right in his own eyes by returning the stolen silver from his mother, not out of repentance or remorse, but out of a deep fear of the curse she, he heard her utter. And then he takes 200 shekels from her, he created an idol and a shrine seemingly in the name of Yahweh, the name of God, the God of Israel, and thus violating another of the Ten Commandments. That he does this seemingly with the blessing of his mother makes no difference. He's doing what is right in his own eyes, which is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And reading this, one must wonder, do they even know who Yahweh is anymore? When the individual reigns, there is chaos disorder and disarray. In the case of Micah, suffering from the Invictus Syndrome, this self-determination was manifested in idolatry. He did it his way. You see, he'd been made to worship, as all humans are, made to worship, built by God for communion with God and the worship of God. Micah, in his self-rule, exchanged that which was right in God's eyes for that which was right in his own eyes, as he exchanged the worship of God, the infinite, glorious God, for the worship of a cheap substitute. Literally a cheap substitute. Folks, 200 shekels of silver is less than five pounds. He's not creating an impressive idol, a huge statue. The Micah is not alone. He has another partner in crime. We're introduced to the Levite who also does what was right in his own eyes. Set aside by Yahweh, the tribe of Levi were to be a tribe built around service to him. They were to be set apart, devoted to him, and leading people into God's presence, going and serving where God directed, where God led. And yet in Judges chapter 17, this Levite did what was right in his own eyes by selling his services to the highest bidder. He left one place to go look for another, more to his liking, more to his choosing. He met Micah, and what a coincidence. A priest without a job found a man who needed a priest. Who, by the way, throws his own son under the bus. Did you catch that? He ordained his son to be a priest, and now he says, oh, but I've got someone better. So let me ordain you, Levite. Selling his services to Micah and his shrine, agreeing to be a priest in his shrine to an idol for his own enrichment. There's more to be said about the Levite, but for now, let's recognize the truth here. Either God will reign or the individual will attempt to. And if and when the individual reigns, very little that is good happens. In fact, chaos and turmoil result. Here in the case of the Levite, he sold his service to the highest bidder in open defiance to the law of God. 
He's a mercenary priest who served himself and only served others as long as it served his purposes of serving himself. He did it his way. And that too was idolatry. When you go home this afternoon, take a look at chapters 17 and 18. Read through them. I'm hitting them in a survey-style fashion here. The tribe of Dan figures prominently in chapter 18, and it becomes entangled with Micah and the Levite as they too do what was right in their eyes. We'll remember the tribe of Dan from Judges chapter 1. They had been unable to conquer the land given them by God. They'd been unable to drive out the Amorites, and instead... The author of Judges tells us that Dan got their tail whipped and got sent packing into the hills. They were only able to secure two small cities for themselves, and they need room to live. Instead of turning to God, instead of repenting and returning to God, they reject the land that was given them by God in the allotments, and they, they strike out seeking their own place, a place of their own choosing, a place that was right in their eyes. And in the process of moving to the far north of the promised land, they steal the shrine of Micah. The very idol that had been created out of stolen money is now stolen. And they convince the Levite, strong-armed the Levite, to take a promotion in becoming the priest, not of a man or of a family, but of a whole tribe. And the Levite, having already sold himself once, finds it easier to sell himself a second time. And when Micah protested this, the tribe of Dan then threatens the life, the existence of Micah and his family, threatening a brother Israelite with absolute destruction. The tribe of Dan, doing what is right in their own eyes, doing it their way, goes to the far north end of the promised land. They destroy one city called Laish, and they build a new one called Dan, the epitome of humility, naming a city after yourself. And there, in this new city of Dan, they establish a cultic shrine with the stolen god of 200 shekels. When the individual reigns, there's chaos. Doing it their way, in the case of the tribe of Dan, they forsook the land given them by God himself. They robbed and they threatened a fellow Israelite. They conquered and destroyed a city that had not been ordained for destruction. And they established a shrine to idols. Dan, who was to be a holy people, was an unholy mess. Micah and the Levite, the tribe of Dan, actively rejected God. They actively embraced idolatry. They did it their way. We see just how far the people of Israel have fallen. And we see how quickly it happened here in this case study. As we see that self-rule leads to chaos and self-destruction, we see that in their rejection of Yahweh, in their rejection of his reign and his rule, Israel had become effectively Canaanized. By assimilating into the pagan cultures around them, Israel is ceasing to be Israel. They've rejected God. They've rejected God's law. They've rejected the very things that formed them as Israel, and instead they become pagan in their life and in their approach to divinity. What happened? They did it their way. The author of Judges is very clear. He's very explicit. There was no king in Israel. Not even Yahweh was king. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes and what was evil in Yahweh's eyes. 
They did it their way. And Israel became pagan so incredibly quickly. The author of Judges gives us a hint that it happened within just a generation or two of the death of Joshua. In chapter 18, verse 30, this whole case study comes to a close with the author saying this, The people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites. The unnamed Levite of chapter 17 is the grandson of Moses, the greatest figure in the history of Israel. Self-rule leads to the chaos of idolatry. The chaos of idolatry leads to destruction. In the days of the judges, chaos reigned. Let's realize something here. And let's not allow ourselves to take the easy way out. Let's not take the easy way out by taking the bird's eye view, by sticking with the panoramic wide angle. The author of Judges won't let us do this, so let's not. Let's realize that the problems of the people of Israel were large scale precisely because they are first small scale. They are national because they are tribal. They are tribal because they are problems within the various clans. And they are problems within the various clans because they are problems in the family. They are problems in the family because they are first problems with the individuals. And so we must recognize that the, the, the warning in this passage is not primarily for a nation or a large group, but the warning in this passage is first and foremost for us as individuals, as people. And so where are you in this? Let me urge you, engage with what is happening here in this case study from Judges 17 and 18. I encourage you to engage with this because what we're seeing, self-rule, the Invictus Syndrome, naming for yourself what is right, this is not a tendency or a problem that has become extinct. It has not gone away. Micah did something that is natural to us as human beings. He worshipped. As human beings made in the image of God for the glory and worship of God, we will worship. This is a reality of the human condition. We will worship something. In his commencement address at Kenyon College in 2005, non-religious author David Foster Wallace proclaimed to this group of graduating college students, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. If we, like Micah, seek to do things our way, If we are the king of our hearts and being, if we have no other king and we do what is right in our own eyes, then we will ultimately submit to that which we call worthy of worship. We will commit idolatry and worship something. In fact, this is what we will all do if we rule ourselves and refuse the rule of the rightful king, the triune God, Yahweh. And in this, we humans have a nasty nasty tendency. Where did that accent come from? In this, we humans have a nasty tendency to trade the singular glory of God for that which amounts to cheap trinkets. We may not make a physical idol for ourselves, but there are countless modern idols that, for all their social acceptance, are no less insidious than those of the ancient world. John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory. And what he meant by that is that we will build idols all the time and make them out of anything. Money, sex, 
power, jobs, even family, can displace God as the object of our affection and be idols. As we, like Micah, perhaps even slap God's name on it and call it holy, all the while doing it our way, desiring to worship a God on our own terms, a God we can define, a God we can control. Like Micah, we can desire a religion centered on ourselves that fit what we want and meet our felt needs. Like Micah, we can do it our way and become consumers and not worshipers. Like Israel in the time of Judges, we can treat God as an add-on to our lives, all while relegating Him to, at best, a secondary status. We may give God His hour and a half on Sunday morning and be absolute idolaters the rest of the week as our true selves are revealed in how we live and what we pursue. And This is a result of self-rule, of having no king and doing what is right in our own eyes. Where are you in this? Let me urge you, engage. If this is the problem, being like Micah, uh, kingless, or uh, having ourselves as the king within us, and if this is the problem, uh, doing what is right in our own eyes, what is needed? What is the solution to that problem? It's not going to surprise you to hear me say that we need Jesus. We need to live under the rule and the reign of Yahweh. We need a true king and the righteousness that only he can give, a righteousness that is actually outside of ourselves. We need Jesus. Yahweh, in the time of the judges, wanted to be the king for Israel. Yahweh still wants to be the king, and he does that now by bringing his kingdom to bear upon all who believe in Jesus the Christ. There's a reason why when Jesus came into his public ministry, he did so by proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven was at hand because the king had come near. We need a king. We need Jesus to be the king. You see, we need Jesus and the righteousness that only he can give, a righteousness that is alien to ourselves, outside of ourselves, and rather in God's grace and mercy is imputed upon us, a righteousness that only Jesus can give. In this entire passage, we have to recognize that Jesus is the only true son. Micah wasn't, Jesus is. We recognize that Jesus is the only true and faithful priest. The Levite sure wasn't. The, son, the grandson of Moses really messed up. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the great high priest. And Jesus is true Israel. The Danites forsook the land that God had given him, had given them. Jesus takes what God has to give, even the cup of wrath. We need the righteousness that comes from the one who always did what was right in the Father's eyes. We who do not do what is right in the Father's eyes need the imputation of the righteousness from the one who does. We need the King. Jesus. This is what's amazing, I think, amazing about grace is that we don't have to earn his rule. We don't have to achieve his reign. We simply have to submit and surrender and receive the righteous rule of the reign of King Jesus. The very thing that we need, the true king and true righteousness, Jesus gives to those who believe. Yeah, we have to admit that God knows what is best for us. 
We have to admit that we typically make a mess of things when we're left to our own devices. We have to admit we need the king, and we ain't it. We need the king who will rule in our lives with that which is right in God's eyes. We need Jesus. We need Jesus beginning in our personal lives. We need Jesus spreading into our family lives. We need Jesus spreading into our churches. It is only when we personally are submitted to the rule and reign of God in our lives through King Jesus Christ. It is only when our families are submitted to the rule and reign of God in our lives through King Jesus that our church and our churches will be submitted to the rule and reign of God in our lives through King Jesus. And it is only in that place of submission to the king who is the head of the church that the church will be what God wants the church to be, and the church will do what God wants the church to do. It is only in submission to the king that we have anything worth saying to the world around us. We need to be who we have been made to be, to do that which is right in God's eyes. We need Jesus to do that. Where are you in this? Let me urge you, engage with this. Do you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? If so, submit to him as king every day, every hour, and every minute. And continue to submit to him as king as we seek his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Perhaps this morning there is a not-so-gentle pressure upon your toes. What is the needed thing? Prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit where you are in this and respond with what the Holy Spirit reveals. Perhaps it is to respond with praise and thanksgiving. Perhaps it is a response of repentance and confession. There's time and there's space this morning for both. Maybe you're at a place where you do not yet believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If not, why not? Is today the day of salvation? Jesus is the true king we need. Only in the kingdom of Yahweh can we be fully human and under his rule and his reign, worship rightly and do what is right in his eyes. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Does he rule and reign over you? I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and we give you thanks. You don't leave us to ourselves. We recognize that Without you, we're a mess. We try to do it our way. But you are not content to see those whom you have made and who you love to be in that place of chaos and destruction. We praise you and we give you thanks for Jesus, who is our King. And we pray, Lord, as we stand to adore you in song, that you would be at work in our hearts and in our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit, aligning us with the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and adore our Savior.